0: Welcome to the Western Bowel Podcast Series, with talks on traditional spiritual teaching and its application in the world today. The intention of the series is to offer something useful for those who are drawn to study themselves and engage practice on the spiritual path. New talks are posted twice each month. The content of the talks is for informational purposes only, and not to provide any kind of counseling, medical, or professional advice. This podcast is titled, It's Not the Fall That Kills You, A Talk on Groundlessness. The presentation was given by Juanita Violini on July fifteenth, 2023 via Zoom. Juanita is an artist and writer-producer of Interactive Mystery Entertainment, who has been a student of the spiritual path for over 35 years. In this talk, she notes that we are always already living in groundlessness. She states that this can be scary, since we tend to approach life in a fear-based way, but that we can be groundless and focused on our delight, with life seen as an unending stream of surprises. Juanita considers the topic by using quotes from the Tibetan Buddhist master Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche and from her own teacher, Lee Lazewick, whose spiritual school she references in the talk. If there is benefit in this talk for you, please consider sharing the link to it or writing a review on social media or on one of the podcast platforms. Juanita Violini.
1: Groundlessness. So I'm just going to talk about groundlessness a bit to start. When I started to study and come across different teachings, at one point it occurred to me that everyone is talking about the same thing and we're either talking about different aspects of that thing, or we're talking about the same thing, but using different words. And so groundlessness, I like that word because it doesn't have a lot of connotations around it yet. So the thing about groundlessness is we are, always already in groundlessness it's not something that we have to get to we're there already so that's good news I think we're surrounded by a field of intelligent energy and the quote that I had in the write-up from Chogram Trungpa says the bad news is you're falling through air nothing to hang on to, no parachute. The good news is there's no ground. And I love that. It sounds scary. I've run that quote by a couple of different people over the last month and they're, whoa, it sounds like a plane falling out of the sky. It disorients people, but we're there already. So groundlessness When I was thinking about it, it's also like that children's rhyme, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. That's groundlessness. Even talking about go with the flow, that is also groundlessness. The thing about talking about something like groundlessness is that it's not linear and we have to use words to do it. So it gets a little tricky. And even thinking like, row, row, row your boat, gently down the stream, then my mind goes, oh, we're going horizontally, we're flowing through life. And then the quote that says, we're falling through air, that's an entirely different sensation, a different feeling. And it's pointing, I think, to the fact that groundlessness has no direction. We are just always moving. And it's the movement that is important. And we can get ourselves stuck. So we are not aware of the opportunities that come our way that we would be able to take advantage of if we were aware of groundlessness. So I sent the description of this talk and I said, it's not a talk about facing our fears. Even though it sounds like it, if you're falling through air with no parachute and nothing to grasp onto, it's about facing our delight. But the catch is that we have to realize that we're focusing on our fear. Like I know me and I assume, or I think that a lot of other people approach life from a very fear-based position. Habitually, it's our society. It's the context that we're surrounded with. So we have to realize we're always moving and that This is a good thing, but it's scary because we don't know it. We have gotten the habit of identifying with things, with our thoughts, with our feelings, with what's going on around us. It's kind of funny when we think about not identifying with things. I know for myself, I'm thinking about, I don't want to identify with the bad things, right? But there's a whole spectrum of good things that it never occurs to me not to identify with, like the praise or the accolades or whatever. It doesn't occur to me to disengage from that. And yet any identity is something that keeps us stuck. So we're falling through air and there's no ground, but we put ground under us. So, I think that in a lot of cases, where a lot of us get stuck is we spend a lot of time trying to figure ourselves out. And I think that working with that is useful up to a point. But I also see that we often indulge figuring ourselves out beyond the point of usefulness, and that it's worth drawing a distinction. Between figuring ourselves out and knowing ourselves, which is a completely different thing. So I wanted to go through how this looks. Figuring ourselves out. I've definitely done this. Digging in the past. Why am I the way I am? Why am I afraid of? Why am I triggered angry, and I have an idea, oh, if I could just get back to that initial incident that caused me to think I have to do this to survive, if I can just remember that. If I can just get there, I can fix it and it'll all be good, right? I won't get mad anymore, I won't, whatever. But I don't think that's actually true. I think we have to work at figuring ourselves out To satisfy something inside of us and then at a certain point to let it go. Knowing ourselves, on the other hand, takes place in the present and can only take place in the present. Figuring ourselves out is digging in the past. Figuring ourselves out is something that takes place in our heads. Knowing ourselves. Takes place in our bodies. Figuring ourselves out, it isolates us. And knowing ourselves connects us to a bigger picture. It connects us to our humanity and everyone else's humanity at the same time. Figuring myself out is about trying to change myself. If only I knew why I did this, then I won't have to do that anymore. Then I won't have to be that way anymore. Knowing myself is accepting myself as I am. And the great thing about that is, then I also accept other people as they are. If I think I have to change myself. I think everybody has to change themselves. I've noticed this, but if I know things about myself and I can accept them, I can see that same humanity in other people and I can feel compassion because it's no different than I am. Figuring ourselves out is like grasping on to something. It is all about our attention and where our attention is placed, which is why at some point figuring ourselves out, we need to let go of. So it comes from a place, in my experience, of a feeling that life is lacking something. And again, if I can figure out why I am the way I am, then there won't be a lack anymore. Knowing myself, though, is reaching a spot inside of me of knowing life will provide. Whatever is needed for my life will be provided. It's kind of funny thinking about this and talking about this because sometimes I have clarity about it and sometimes I'm just so lost in the fog. But over the years, having children and observing them in their natural state, so to speak, children trust that their needs will be met and provided for. And until we somehow give them a different message of lack, they will just happily go along. And I really see that knowing ourselves is letting go of all the, mostly thoughts, mostly from the mind, all the tension, I guess. Knowing ourselves, accepting ourselves is a relaxation. We can't know ourselves if we're tense. Or if somehow we are shutting down, now we're back into figuring things out or coming from a place of fear. I have a quote here from Lee Lazzlewick, which was written up in As It Is by Mary Young. What are my feelings and emotions doing while my mind, that which I'm most clearly in touch with, is going on? What's going on inside? That's the first level of inner work because we discover tremendous amounts of mountains and waves, rhythms that we weren't in touch with before, some wonderful, some terrible. But after a certain point, all that psychological work ceases to be necessary, but we've become attached to it. So I think it's just good to... Realize that not just for ourselves, but as a point of compassion for others as well. Because I know I come across people and it's the same story. It might have different words, but it's the same story. And I find that it's easy for me to get impatient with the same story. And so realizing that. This is something that needs to be gone through to get to a place of acceptance with some letting go tossed in there. It just makes it easier for me to be patient with other people. So every time we make an assumption, we hit the ground, we stop, we are dead in the water. Every time we have a comparison come up, we hit the ground. If we have a grudge or resentment, we hit the ground. If we are identified with any feelings, we hit the ground. If we are trying to prove something to someone, hit the ground. If we are trying to make someone angry or make someone different, we hit the ground. If we're trying to control someone, we are hitting the ground. If we want someone to be different, we're hitting the ground. And I think that the ultimate is any time we go into any situation, any interaction, if we want something from it, we are hitting the ground. We will not be aware of our groundlessness when we want something. Does anyone have any questions about groundlessness at this point?
2: I'm not getting the idea of the groundlessness. Is it a metaphor for something? Is it a positive or is it a negative? I've spent most of my life trying to get grounded. I can appreciate that nothing is actually real or material on some level. And I can be grounded within the intrinsic groundlessness of the world, I guess. I'm not really tracking... With the definition you're using and the significance of it.
1: Okay, thank you. So, being grounded is something that takes place in a different realm or a different area of life than groundlessness. So, we're moving through life, and when we stop trying to control things, if we can just let things be what they are, that is groundlessness. We're always in it. It could probably go by a lot of names. You could maybe call it objective love. I'm reading this great book called The Reality of Being by Jean de Salzman right now. I'll read this quote of hers. The work is a special. Current, sustained by a source of energy. So, groundlessness is another word for that. It is the life force, it is reality, it's what is as it is. Being in the present and not have your thoughts either in the past or in the future. We're very mentally dominated in the world at this time. But if we got taken away by strong emotions or we got really attached to indulging in sensations, when we have our attention on one of those three things, thoughts, thoughts, Sensations or emotions, if we are focused predominantly on one of them, we've hit the ground. We've stopped. We're not moving with the flow of life that will give us delight and satisfaction. We were born into this world to be happy and to have wonderful things provided to us. We actually still live in the garden. We just don't see it. And so we need to be able to have our attention on our thoughts, our sensations, our emotions on the inside of us, and to also have our attention on our environment around us. If we can just observe what is as it is, It's always there. It's letting go of our tension. And our tension shows up as judgments, assumptions, comparison, anger, being identified with anything. There is tension somewhere in the body that that is coming from. When we can just. Rest in the moment. Oh, that sounds simple. Super hard to do. But when it happens, and that sounds sort of peaceful. uh, It's not always peaceful. Your attention is completely in the moment. That allows things to show up that we could never imagine could show up. So one reason I really wanted to give this talk is that we live in a great world. We have such wonderful lives given to us. And it's like, hey, (laughs) hey, guys, life is great. Life is great. It really is. And I think that, that it's important to remember that because there's a lot coming up in the outside, like the news, the media, all the psychic energy is telling us life isn't great. And it's easy to forget. Actually, life is really great. We are so blessed to just be alive. It's amazing. And we forget that and we don't see it because we keep hitting the ground so that's the language that I'm choosing to use for this talk. But when you listen to other talks, really, it seems like everyone is saying the same thing. It's just different words. And that's a good thing because we come from different places. We have different assumptions and some words will resonate with us and others won't. And those same words won't resonate with everyone, but they'll resonate with someone.
3: The word that resonates with me is impermanence. I understand the Dharma, the teaching, that everything is groundless. Nothing is permanent. Mm -hmm. But in my life, I am concerned about my car. I needed to get that fixed. So just go with the flow. But when it comes to more significant things in the way that I've established my life, that's more challenging. I have two friends who lost their houses to a fire. I mean, they just came home and the house was burned down. Life is groundless. There's nothing to hold on to. I mean, that's how I relate to this word, groundlessness. Can I recontextualize my life? So that I really am open to what comes up right now. I live my life by habits. I think most of us do. And habits make things feel solid. But am I really solid? Which brings me to ask you, when you say of knowing yourself, who is there to know? Because it doesn't seem like the teaching says that there is a permanent individual self. But perhaps beyond that, that is a real I. That is a real self. What is that? And it can't be described in words, I know, but it's a question for me.
1: Mm -hmm. So that brings up two or three different things for me. So, yes, in one realm, who is there to know? There's nobody if ultimately we don't identify with things. But at this point, we are in a human body. and. Of the things that I think we're born for, like to praise life, to praise the divine, however you want to language it, to praise this really wonderful life we have each been given, and also to be useful and to be useful for each other. And in order to be useful and to serve each other, We have to get out of our mechanical way. And so if I get called out on something, if I'm just going along and I speak out of turn or something and someone calls me on that, my initial habitual response is to shut down or to strike out. So there I am hitting the ground. And then maybe I think I can stop doing that if I figure out what in the past made me hit the ground that way. I don't believe that's true. My experience is in between the moments, there are gaps. And so when I get called out, I get a bodily sensation of pain in the heart. I've done something out of integrity. I'm called out on it. I know I'm out of integrity. I know that in the short gap between being called out and automatically justifying it, blaming something for it, creating a story about it. It hurts. I don't want it to hurt. I'm going to make up a story or I'm going to distract myself somehow, and then I'm not going to hurt anymore, and it's all good until the next time I do it. But if I feel hurt from recognizing I am out of integrity, if I can stay with that feeling and just feel it and keep my attention on that feeling for as long as I can. Then I get to know myself. If I slap a story on it, I don't get to know myself. I get to go, Oh, that person doesn't know what they're talking about. Or, Oh, I'm not out of integrity because all those other people, they're out of integrity too. But if I sit with it and if I can go, that was out of integrity. If I can feel that pain inside and accept that about myself. That I am out of integrity, that I do that, then inside something relaxes and something opens. It doesn't change the fact that I'm out of integrity, but something inside me will shift so that the next opportunity I have to be out of integrity, I probably won't go there because I will recognize. Once I have accepted that about myself, once I know that about myself, then I am not going to blindly, unconsciously repeat it, at least as easily or as often, you know?
3: From what you're saying, what's coming up for me is it's a matter of letting go and letting go and letting go. But also, you have to really own what it is you're letting go of. If You don't take responsibility for it. It's just like slapping something on top of it. But what I've found to be difficult, I think that this is pretty common, is if I take responsibility for something and it burns, it burns. I'm seeing something about myself I don't really like. To let go of that rather than to hold on to beating myself up. Yeah, that's empty and groundless as well.
1: Yes, and the more we can practice doing that, being with what is our body trying to tell us in the moment, then. That builds that muscle, then we get better at keeping our attention somewhere useful. But the other thing about impermanence, and I've wondered about this a lot because as I observe life, it seems like it takes extreme circumstances before we are willing to change something that needs to be changed in ourselves. And I've always wondered, does it have to be that way? Does life have to really pound it into us? Or can we just get it without going to that extreme of whatever it is? In this talk here, we're all reasonable adults that are not going to take words and be irresponsible with them. So. Quite a while ago, I did know a woman that lost everything in a fire, and it's happening around here more and more frequently. But at the end of the day, most people feel freed by it. It makes me wonder, do we have to go through those extreme measures, or can we free ourselves When I was thinking about this talk, the very bottom line that I came to was the only way that we can actually stay in groundlessness and live in divine delight is if we literally know we have nothing left to lose. If we can get to the point of knowing we have nothing to lose, because All of our reactions come from fear of losing something in a work situation. If someone gets something that I think I should get, a promotion, can I be happy for them? Now I can be happy for them, but for many, many years, I felt that they're having something meant less for me. I try to spend time with myself. I do spend time with myself everything changes. I'm old enough now that I've seen everything changes and it's not going to stop changing. Everyone we know and love will die. We will die. We will move. Our house will be gone. The way the fires are going, the whole town could be gone that's an extreme and it's kind of sounds like it's on like the bad end of the scale, but irregardless, good, bad, it doesn't matter. It changes. There's no sense to think we're not going to lose everything. (laughs) We are. And that's actually really good news because if we can just Stop holding and stop grabbing or grasping those sound like violent words in a way. And it doesn't mean that we're violent people, but we want, or at least I know I want. And we think that if we don't want, we won't get. I'm really trying to pay attention to what's going on and what's coming up for me in the moment. And Yesterday, it was only yesterday, I had to go meet some people I didn't really know to a place that I'd never been before. And I'm driving to get there and my stomach is all in knots and I'm super uncomfortable. And I'm going, it's okay, it's okay, stay with it, stay with it. I think it's important that we're our own best friend and we give ourselves pep talks. Okay, just feel it.
3: like you're going into a groundless situation.
1: Yeah, and it was magical. It was absolutely magical. Wow, by not shutting down, by staying open to see what shows up, magic shows up. So I want to read a quote about that. This is a quote from Lee Lazzabic. When I heard this, it was just like, My answer to every question I ever had Quote What is life after all but an unending stream of surprises? At least it would be if we stopped our stubborn and foolish reliance on our artificial and neurotic projections as if they were reality. Only reality is reality we should live in divine delight and leave the subjective sorrow to the sleeping world of tension anger fear and disappointment and i love that i love that life is an unending stream of surprises and living in divine delight that is what is And we just get tense somehow and then the psychology kicks in and then we forget that life is really precious and very short. It's so short that I really want to encourage us all. I think if we get maybe how short it really is, we might be more able to appreciate it in a way. I know we probably all appreciate life, but it's just so wonderful and so magical and it's available to all of us all the time. It's here now. It's like that. (laughs) Okay, okay. So we have a lot of assumptions and judgments and all that sort of stuff. And then it's, okay, well, what can we do about that? How can we stop doing that? Knowing ourselves, that could take a while, like, I know. It takes me a while. I'm still working on it, probably forever. But there's this great quote by Benjamin Disraeli, who was prime minister when Queen Victoria was ruling England, which is probably early 1800s, mid-1800s. Anyways, the quote is, never complain, never explain. And... That is such a great tool. And I found out what a great tool it is in part by accident. So, never complain. Well, we all know that one never complain, never explain. And that is really interesting because if you don't jump in and explain, then you get to see, for one thing, where people's assumptions. Go. Whereas if you explain, then all of a sudden everybody gets on your train and there you go. You all have the explanation the same. But it's really wonderful and entertaining if you don't explain. So I have an incident that happened to me accidentally that showed this off. This was many years ago. I was living in Vancouver and I did a weekend workshop that basically involved a bunch of people in a room yelling at each other in an effort to confront our issues. We are going to get in each other's face and yell for two days straight. It was not without merit. It was kind of extreme. But at the end of two days, I had no voice left. I could not speak. I had yelled so much throughout the weekend. And I'm driving home and I'm living in Vancouver. And I can't wait to get home. I had more or less just moved to BC from a different province, from Alberta. So my car still had Alberta plates. And I ran this stop sign. I took a look. There's nothing coming. I want to get home. Zoom right through the stop sign. And there was a clock right behind me. And he pulled me over. And he started to lecture me. In his sarcastic way about, well, I don't know how you do things in Alberta, but here we stop at stop signs. And I really wanted to say something. I don't know what I would have said, but I didn't have any voice. So I couldn't say anything, anyways. I could not explain. And so I'm sitting there and he's talking at me and I'm looking at him. I can't say anything. And in my head, I'm just swearing away, going, oh, and he was so baffled that I wasn't trying to explain anything or excuse anything, that he just gave me a warning and let me go. And I'm like, whoa, that worked out really well. If I had tried to do anything, explain anything, complain anything, it would have had a much different outcome. I was in the moment. I tell you, I wanted to talk really bad and I couldn't. And here I am. And there he is. And how much is this going to cost? And it all worked out. And having that experience showed me or gave me the impetuous to experiment with not explaining. Because really, why do we explain? That's a, another whole talk, probably. So, never complain, never
4: explain. I would not agree with that, not explain. Sometimes I connect with somebody when I explain something, what is going on for me, why I say no to something, when you ask me about something, and I say, no, I'm not doing that. But when I explain and open my heart and not try to excuse myself, but if I explain something in the, in the sense that I want to connect with this person and be in the moment connected with this person and not let my no or my excuses be a cut of relationship. Yeah, because I talked with a lot of policemen and I had my voice and They listened to me and I had only a nice talk and I said, sorry, I completely lost it. And I got only a warning. So for me, do I use an explanation as an excuse? When I'm honest and talking from my heart, this is my experience, then it makes compassion. My whole life, I try to find ground. I need to find a center in myself and stay grounded In this groundlessness. Yeah, so that when the groundlessness comes, sometimes through a shock, yeah, when you get a phone call from somebody, oh, my mom is in a hospital, that I can not forget to breathe and be grounded in the groundlessness. What is life? That is for me the main thing that is in the unpredictable, what is life is. I need to be prepared. And I also need to see that as long as I open my heart, I will love.
1: Yeah, thank you. And that's a good distinction about explaining. For me, a lot of times my explanation was because I feel like I should or I have to. And what you're speaking of is a great distinction to make because you're explaining by choice and to further relationship. Not because of a mechanical habit or a psychological feeling like you owe someone an explanation. And that's an important distinction. Also, though, I think the way I would language what you're talking about is we need to be grounded in ourselves. What you're saying, being grounded in groundlessness, we are grounded in ourselves. And we live in groundlessness is how I would language it. I also think life is a great experiment. I try to experiment with not having expectations. So this month on Saturdays, I'm going to markets and I'm selling my art and various other things at the farmer's market. And I really get to observe myself and my expectations or my assumptions around that and to practice not holding assumptions or expectations, but just going and seeing what comes. So that's another way maybe of saying groundlessness is what we live in. Groundedness is inside of us and groundlessness is outside of us. Kind of. There is one more quote by Trungpa I would like to share. Humans are the only animals that try to dwell in the future. You don't have to purely live in the present situation without a plan. But the future plans you make can only be based on the aspects of the future that manifest with the present moment. So I really like that because it is important to have a plan. This is the just plain common sense of it. The way that I'm experimenting with groundlessness at this time is I have certain things I want to do with my life, different things. I have a career I want to follow and I have some traveling I want to do and I have presentations I'm going to make and like that. And I think of these things a lot all the time. And so what I do is I take a step towards that, whatever that current goal or plan is. And then I see what happens, what comes back. And if I just go one step at a time, It quickly becomes obvious if I should take a second step or if I should change direction. This speaks to not necessarily not having an aim, but not deciding what that should look like. Groundlessness. Another way I have found to access groundlessness is through generosity. Being generous with each other, with our time with our money with our happiness with their happiness generosity is something that comes from a relaxed state so it's really hard to be generous if we have contraction around something so I have success in various degrees of generosity in various places So one way that I am generous is in my knowledge. So I'm a mystery writer. I write mystery scripts, mystery books, and I'm actually really good at plotting. And so because this is my business, people contact me and people have contacted me with questions. So they haven't booked a consultation, but they're just, oh, I saw your website. Can you tell me? And I will because they contacted me and they asked. And at some point, I might not do that. But at this point, it's appropriate for me to freely share my knowledge. And because I can do that, freely share my knowledge with no expectation, these things turn into a variety of projects that I get paid for that have nothing to do with what I do. One woman contacted me about selling her mystery scripts. So I gave her everything I knew about that. And then she ended up hiring me to design a deck of cards for her. So if I had had an expectation about how I get my income needs to look, or if I know I'm not sharing what I know, you have to pay for that both those things would have shut down this really delightful interaction I had with this woman and I got paid. It sounds like such a simple thing. And talking about things like groundlessness, there's just a lot of things we talk about that the mind puts all these bells and whistles on and we think it comes with flashes and strobe lights And it's not necessarily like that. It's like, hey, we're all awake many times throughout the day. And I'm waiting for the shooting stars. How will I know I'm awake? Where are the shooting stars? And that's just something my mind thinks. Oh, awake. That must come with shooting stars. Questions, comments?
3: Well, from what you're saying, one thing that's occurring to me is that to be awake, I think is to live in groundlessness. Because if I'm living in groundlessness, my attention isn't on me trying to substantiate myself or trying to fix myself to things, remain attached to things, worrying that I'm going to lose something, trying to hold on. But if I'm not trying to hold on and my attention isn't on that or trying to make a certain outcome happen, whatever comes, I know, I, I have confidence. I am surrendered to then my attention is free. I think that we've all had moments of that, but that's not my common state of mind. One teaching that has been really helpful to me is something from our No Desjardins. He talks about loving the unfriendly side of life. So I go through my life and I have a job and I need to take care of all these things and meet deadlines and all of that. But if something comes up to upset the way that I want things to go, can I accept the unfriendly side of life, if not love it? That's just something that I remember sometimes when something comes up to really throw me off. All my plans are shot.
2: I still can't embrace the language. Anything that's ungrounded to me is the negative. When I am awake, I am grounded in my view. And the world is not ungrounded. It is in perfect order. And when Mm -hmm. I can connect with it, I don't see any ungroundedness anywhere. I want to be on the ground. I do not want to be ungrounded or above the ground. I do not see the natural order as being ungrounded so i'm not relating to the term whatsoever and i can try to translate it into the present or reality or something else but the term groundlessness so far i can't find any value in it for me
1: that's okay okay so i'm going to just talk and hopefully something sensible will come out so we are in our human bodies, chronological, right? We go through time. We're born, we age, we die. That's what happens to the body. So I'm assuming you identify with you're more than a body. Where would you say you're more than a body exists?
2: Where does it exist? I would probably say it exists in the ether and that my connection to it is through my center. And that my work is to create a permanent I am. I am not of the opinion that we don't have an I am. I am seeking it, is seeking to establish it and have it survive the death of my body.
1: Do you have a way that you have established the I am that will survive?
2: Well, it's what Gertrief refers to as crystallizing something. And it's been a life's work. The foundation of all of my efforts, all of my efforts to wake up over and over again and create something that's steady and self-motivated.
1: It doesn't feel to me like we're talking about different things. I can appreciate that. The words I'm using, you cannot connect with. And that's fine because there's a lot of words available for the same thing. Can I ask you, though, and you don't have to answer, and anybody can answer. This question can be actually for anybody. Do you trust yourself? Yes. Excellent. I think that that is pivotal. It is key. It is so important because I think that if we don't trust ourselves, then it's difficult to trust life. So I would say trusting life would be another way. I would say being in groundlessness to me, those are no different. Those two things to trust life and to be in groundlessness. To me, it was tied with knowing myself, being able to trust myself. So I think at the end of the day, and I just think I could be wrong, it's up to each of us as individuals to come to our own conclusions, to know what is true and right for us about our past. And there's a whole array of things that go with this, like, You don't create harm and suffering for someone else. And you don't harm and suffer yourself. A lot of common sense things. But I think we need to come to the truth for ourselves. If somebody is trying to tell us, oh, this is true or that is true, or if you do this, if you don't know it for yourself, then it's not going to work. Whatever it is. In our school, there are recommended conditions because the teacher was smart enough to know that telling somebody, do this, if something is coming from outside of themselves, it's not a true practice. It's not a true motivation. If we're just doing something to please someone outside of ourselves, that at the end of the day is not going to work. If we know the value of something For ourselves from inside ourselves based on our intuition, our experiments, or whatever we each need to come to to realize, yes, this is true for me. That is what matters. For a long time, I thought I was hearing, which maybe wasn't what was being said, before I could trust myself I had to be trustworthy in all these different things. Like I had to be trustworthy in having a steady meditation practice. And I had to be trustworthy in always paying my bills on time, all these things. And it's important that we are trustworthy in the mechanics of life. But I was just headed in the wrong direction Waiting to be happy until I was perfect or had it all lined up. But I came to the conclusion I had to know where I was not trustworthy. I had to know that. And if I can be trustworthy in knowing where I'm not trustworthy, or if I can be honest about knowing where I'm not trustworthy, then that is to me, in the way I see things part of trusting myself, knowing myself, and knowing myself and where I am and am not trustworthy, I can have a trusting relationship with life. It's cool how that works. I just wanted to put that out there because it seems like that might be a place where a lot of us get stuck is in not trusting ourselves. And I think so long as we know where we are and where we aren't trustworthy, we can proceed into the stream of delight. I came to a conclusion a while back, which is aging is really cool because you get a perspective that you just can't get any other way. And probably about 20 years ago, I was just so beaten down by myself and so tired of trying to get it right and doing the right thing and waiting for somebody to tell me the right way so i could do it the right way it was endless guys it was bad and i am saying this in the most responsible caring compassionate for myself way i got to a point where i don't care anymore my approach to life, neurotic perfection, do it right. I don't care if I go to hell. It had gotten to that point. Getting to that point was some small degree of having nothing left to lose really allowed a relaxation to go like, oh, thank God. Because wasn't enjoying life. I wasn't living life. And if I'm not enjoying life, my family's for sure not enjoying life because misery loves company, whether it's conscious or not. And as much as I thought about it, I could not find anything wrong with enjoying life. And I looked at it closely because it didn't seem to be a thing that I was raised or allowed, or taught. It's okay. Just relax and have fun. Yes, be responsible. Yes, don't be a jerk. But life is wonderful. And so when I find quotes like, what is life after all, but an endless stream of surprises, it's like, yes. Besides the fact that it's telling me what I want to hear, I also think it's true. And in my experiments are proving out to me that it is true. And it is coming from someone I respect who has great integrity. So what have we got? We've got what we discover for ourselves and what other people tell us. And as much as we think someone may or may not be an expert on a topic, it is definitely worth considering what experts and whatnot have to say about things. But it's not the be all end all. Unless it is also true for us. There are experts and there are masters, and then there's a lot of people who call themselves that. There you go. We have to figure out for ourselves what is true. So another quote. This is from the book, Just This 365 by Lee Lozowick. And it's number 67. Stop pushing. The universe is perfectly organized and always gives us what is most useful if, and if is the operative word here, we relax and allow ourselves to be receptive to the universe's timing instead of pushing, 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 and letting our minds define the situation or manifestation. Unquote. So that to me is groundlessness. Allowing ourselves to be receptive to the universe and not letting our minds define it. Because if our minds define it, that is what we're gonna get. But if we don't define it, then we can see what the universe is gonna give. Okay, quote, I'm gonna finish the quote. And since the universe doesn't function. Exclusively relative to a three-dimensional line or timeline, past, present, future, the universe can clearly know what is more useful tomorrow, even if the mind can't possibly grasp such a dynamic and insists on using a resource today, which in fact would be far more useful tomorrow quote yes
3: I know this is an extreme example, but I'm just thinking about this the last couple of minutes. Somebody sent me this video called Fierce Grace. It's about Ram Das, Richard Alpert, and he had a stroke. and he actually did this video, I think, for people to learn something from his experience. and during the course of the video, It shows two interviews, one with a couple and one with a a person, who lost somebody that they were very close to, in this case, the couple, their daughter, to a violent death. And they were groundless. They could not understand how that could happen. To me, I realized that there are going to be times, and there have been times, when the rug has been pulled out from me. And what I assumed was solid ground is not really solid. So in a moment like that, this couple realized that things are groundless prior to that afternoon when their daughter went out. Things seemed very solid. And what you're saying about having a sense that the universe knows the timing for something, even if you can't understand it, that requires a lot of faith which is the response that Ram Das gave to this couple. How do you know that this wasn't exactly what she needed? She came here to do this, and her time was up. Another woman came to him in a similar situation, having lost her partner, and he said that losing a lover is a path. Those are just some things that occur to me about groundlessness, I don't really see things as groundless until something that I'm very involved with or attached to is lost.
1: Many years ago, I worked with a woman. I didn't know her. I had heard of this woman. I worked in a school district. There was probably a thousand employees and we were both union members. And her 10-year-old son had drowned. And I had heard of this. And then I saw the woman, I don't know, maybe six months, maybe a year later after this had happened at a union meeting. And I looked at that woman and I knew she knew something I didn't. That woman had gone through that grief and pain and come out the other side. And I don't know how she did it. And I never even spoke to her. But when I looked at her and I saw her eyes and her eyes were so warm and loving, she had gone through the grief. And whatever her path was with that, she was radiant. I mean, we're all different. We all have different things. But to go from that heart-wrenching experience of losing a child and to come to radiance, that is an impression I will never forget. She used her pain or she didn't block, she didn't stuff. She lived it and went through it.
3: It's a reminder for me when some little discomfort or inconvenience comes along. Like, really? What is the problem?
1: Well, I don't have anything left. I actually ran out of planned talk about 45 minutes ago and just been winging it. So (laughs) thank you.